0: The Ukrainian 2023 offensive has failed, or at least that's the narrative being disingenuously presented by most media sources, while ignoring the many areas where it did succeed, if not in retaking vast swaths of territory. However, we've already covered that in many prior videos. The real question is, can Ukraine survive a second winter of war? When it became clear that Ukraine simply lacked the equipment to take on the greatest defensive fortifications built in Europe, Since World War II, its top leadership began to look at the conflict as a long-term problem. Thus, Ukraine shifted to a strategy of shaping the future fight, and one that's now going to be paying dividends come winter. Last winter, Ukraine and its allies basically set the stage for its offensive failure. While Ukrainian forces sat on the defensive, all they could do was watch, as Russian troops created vast fortifications that would prove impossible to completely overcome. But this wasn't by choice. Ukraine asked for, but did not receive, the precision and long-range strike weapons it needed to disrupt those fortification efforts. So the question is, what's going to happen this winter? Are we simply going to see a repeat of last winter? Disturbingly, the answer is that it's more than likely not yes. And here, we're going to get slightly political because the reason why this is happening is a political one, not a question of Ukrainian fighting spirit or ability. Ukraine has stated that it's going to continue offensive operations even during the winter, so as to deny the Russians the ability to build up fresh fortifications. And let's take a minute to appreciate the fact that Ukraine, a nation a fraction the size of Russia, is going to be on the offensive against a vast military during the hardest time of the year to fight. For there to be much success though, it's going to need significant stocks of Western equipment. And this is where the combined West is doing all it possibly can to ensure the Russians win the war. The biggest problem that Ukraine faces from its Western allies is a lack of focus and commitment. Europe promised Ukraine a million shells in 2023, and it's delivered only a fraction of that. NATO continues to ship weapons to Ukraine, but only in drips and drabs. This leaves Ukrainian military planners with a very difficult problem. If they commit resources to an offensive, there is no guarantee they will be replaced. Inevitably, it becomes a better bet to simply remain on the defensive. The biggest hurdle to Ukraine is the current political deadlock in America. While most Republicans support continued aid to Ukraine, the entire Republican Party has been held hostage by the far-right element within it. It's these far-right politicians that have consistently set up roadblocks in the way of Ukraine aid. And it doesn't help that we're approaching an election year in America. Thankfully, President Biden wisely opted to go for one massive aid package instead of breaking it up into smaller packages. This would allow for a massive delivery of combat power to Ukraine all at once. Think of it as the difference between having a handgun, and being given two or three bullets at a time, never knowing when the next one was coming, and instead being given a fully loaded magazine. Suddenly you have more options than you did before. Yet, due to political infighting magnified by the looming 2024 election, Republicans have consistently blocked the badly needed aid. This has cut Ukraine off from the biggest source of military equipment, because while America has its problems, Europe has no excuses for the pathetic contributions it's made to a conflict in its own backyard. That's not to say that Europe's contributions haven't been significant or even helpful, but rather the continent as a whole has only given a fraction of what the US has on its own, and the continent continues to show absolutely no promise of doing more anytime soon. This is a frustration shared by Poland's president and the Polish people themselves. They after all are the most at risk if Ukraine were to fall to Russia. Poland has demanded a hard commitment from the west to Ukraine, with a strategy that involves a steady flow of equipment to replenish losses and is predictable, allowing the Ukrainian military planners to commit equipment to a fight, knowing their losses will be replaced. The question is, will this commitment be met? The answer is probably not. America continues to use Ukraine as a political football, and Europe is still refusing to take its own security seriously, despite Russian expansionism occurring in its own backyard. If any of this makes you angry at us, redirect your energy to your political representatives and tell them you're tired of the infographic show putting the entire Combined West on blast, because it can't defeat a nation with less than 5% of its total GDP. There is some good news for Ukraine though, and tools that could shape the winter to a positive effect are slowly trickling in. But there's also some significant problems, and one of them has nothing to do with a lack of equipment. F-16s are en route to Ukraine. And that's good news because the nation needs them badly. In September, Ukraine crossed the Dnieper using its marine forces, establishing a toehold outside of Krynky. Ukraine still holds that area as of the making of this video, but the fighting has been utterly brutal. While the media has talked up Russia's losses in Avdiivka and Bakhmut, it has been silent on the extreme casualties Ukraine has suffered on the east bank of the Dnieper. In the words of a survivor recently evacuated due to wounds, Russia has thrown everything it has at the river crossing. Included in this everything are Russian glide bombs delivered by Russian fighter jets brave enough to risk getting shot down by their own air defenses. By all accounts, the expanded use of glide bombs by Russian fighters has been devastating for Ukraine's attempts to cross the Dnipro, and it's this threat that Ukrainian F-16s could do a lot to mitigate. Ukraine has asked for three or four squadrons of aircraft in order to defend key areas of the front, From both Russian fighter and helicopter attacks. Russian attack helicopters were also heavily responsible for stalling out Ukrainian offensives in the northeast, engaging Ukrainian armored vehicles from outside the range of air defenses. The good news is that it seems as if Ukraine will, in fact, be receiving the number of jets requested. Estimates place the total number of F-16s Ukraine will get at around 60. F-16s won't be a silver bullet to this war any more than the German Leopard 2s or American Abrams tanks. But they will significantly impact Ukraine's ability to retake territory and blunt Russian air power. Despite having a fleet of nearly 800 attack aircraft, Russia's sortie rate has plummeted to only 100 a day. That's in stark comparison to the USS Theodore Roosevelt, which by itself flew about 40 sorties a day during Desert Storm. Why is the entire Russian Air Force flying barely twice as many sorties as a single American carrier? And why does this matter for the incoming F-16s? The why comes down to the logistics and availability of pilots. Russia is in a crisis of both currently. The nation was woefully unprepared to face a robust air defense system like the one now operated in Ukraine, and has suffered for it- to the point that it's had to pull instructors away from their duties at their military flight school and put them on combat duty. That's had a knock-on effect of lowering the quality of Russian pilot graduates who are already receiving a fraction of the flight hours of their American counterparts. Russian doctrine though states that the best pilots get the hardest missions, and this inevitably leads to a brain drain as those best pilots get killed, often by their own air defenses. And that's not a joke. Nobody knows exactly how many of its own aircraft Russia has taken out, but it is widely accepted that Russian air defenses are in a dead heat with Ukraine for total number of downed Russian jets. Back in December of 2022, Russian military bloggers widely reported that sources from within the military were indicating most of their combat losses were due to friendly fire, and that about tracks with what we've seen since then, and how Russia has been using its aircraft from inside friendly lines, lobbing long-range standoff munitions at distant targets well outside the range of most Ukrainian air defenses. The endemic nature of Russian friendly fire. As this video was being made, Russia shot down yet another of its Su-25s, is problematic because it limits Russian sortie rates. If it's too dangerous to put your own aircraft in the sky because your air defenses keep shooting them down, then it's better to limit how many of them you allow to fly at once. This has created a bottleneck for Russia's vast aerospace forces, and it's what'll allow Ukraine to put its F-16s to great use. While 60 jets won't change the war against hundreds left in the Russian inventory, if Russia can't put more than a handful of its aircraft in the sky at once, Suddenly, we have an airborne battle of Thermopylae on our hands. Those same air defenses will be just as lethal to the F 16s, though, which is why it's critical that the jets come equipped with Western long range weapons. This is the real force multiplier. It's not just that Ukraine's getting jet replacements, it's that the nation will finally be able to use a wide inventory of NATO munitions that, frankly, exceptionally good at its job of destroying things you're tired of existing. But the jets have one hidden feature that could make them a truly lethal threat to Russian aircraft operating anywhere near the front. Even if using it could be the first truly escalatory step the West has taken in this war. NATO aircraft come with a military communications link known as Link 16. This secure data link allows NATO aircraft to talk to each other, and to talk to each other's weapons. It enables the use of smart precision weapons and other high-tech toys that could make Russia's military have a very, very bad day. The biggest capability Link 16 provides is the ability to communicate directly with airborne command and control aircraft, the exact type of aircraft that NATO has on constant patrol around the borders of Ukraine. These aircraft utilize powerful radars and reverse-engineered UFO technology to cover almost the entirety of the conflict area without getting close enough to provoke a Russian response. By linking up to these aircraft, Ukrainian F-16s will have situational awareness that Russian fighter pilots could only dream of, making it extremely difficult for Russian jets to catch Ukrainian F-16s off guard, despite having very capable R-37 air-to-air missiles, which could threaten F-16s far from the front lines. Even more importantly though, with Link 16 active, Ukrainian F-16s could engage targets far out of the range of what they could see, and out of the range of Russian air defenses. NATO aircraft could guide Ukrainian weapons to their targets directly, using their powerful radars and being safe from Russian retaliation. This would be a truly revolutionary development for Ukraine, allowing its small fleet of F-16s to significantly threaten the much larger Russian aerospace forces and clear the skies over any current offensives. This will obviously be a significant escalatory step from the west, and the only one we're willing to admit Russia would be right to threaten over. Given that the collective West has been as timid as a dormouse in standing up to Putin, we're willing to bet that Link 16 capabilities are torn out of the Ukrainian F-16s. But here's to being hopeful. Those F-16s should be coming online in Ukraine during winter, but can Ukrainian ground forces hold out? When it was clear that the offensive wasn't going to achieve the breakthrough desired, Ukraine shifted to a strategy of shaping the future battlefield. Targeted counter-battery fire decimated Russian artillery which has significantly limited Russia's overwhelming fire superiority it's enjoyed since the start of the war. This is a major boon to Ukrainian ground forces, especially in the winter as they face the prospect of ongoing combat operations in order to deny Russia the time needed to rebuild its defenses. The influx of storm shadow and now attackums has also allowed Ukraine to target Russian logistics, and those strikes are now going to pay off in spades as winter sets in. Russian supply lines have been significantly affected by ongoing strikes of precision Western weapons, and this is going to take a toll on Russian defenders in the war. We already saw how badly Russian forces suffered in their trenches last winter, and that was before Ukraine had access to the number of precision weapons it has today. As it's been said by senior American military officials, We do not envy Russian soldiers in the coming winter season. Ukrainian ground forces continue to be well supplied with the basic essentials needed for life on the front during the winter. Warm weather gear is in abundance, as are military rations supplied by the West. This is in stark comparison to the food and warm winter gear problems we saw from Russia last year, though what their situation is this year remains unknown. Ukraine's biggest problem however isn't keeping troops warm and fed on the front, it's exhaustion. Russia's leveraged its only advantage over Ukraine in the last few months in anticipation of winter fighting. Russian tactics have rightly been called meat-wave attacks, as the nation has sent scores of unsupported infantry straight into the teeth of Ukrainian defenses since the end of summer. Here Russia is leveraging its overwhelming number's superiority and callous disregard for its own citizen's life, traditional strengths for the nation, against superior Ukrainian firepower and training. Unfortunately, the attacks are working at exhausting Ukrainian defenders, who've had to face wave after wave of the attacks. Ukraine is badly in need of rotating its frontline troops out for rest and reconstitution, but it's unlikely to be able to do so in any significant numbers during the ongoing winter fighting season. With an estimated million military-age men leaving the country, creating the badly needed relief forces is also a problem. This is why Ukraine's continued survival hinges on western support. It's been widely said that precision trumps mass, and historically this has been the case. During the second invasion of Iraq, a force of less than 100,000 American ground combat troops was able to completely defeat the entirety of the Iraqi military due to overwhelming precision strike capabilities. These are the same capabilities that Ukraine needs today, but the real question is, will the West continue to collectively hide behind its skirt as Putin kills more Ukrainians or finally commit to winning this war as it once promised at the outbreak of hostilities. So can Ukraine survive the winter? Yes, it will inevitably do so, even if left unsupported, the nation has the ability to continue fighting for quite a long time. But actually ending this war and limiting the loss of life on both sides comes down to the West getting its act together, and at last providing the tools needed in the quantity needed. It's Russia who in fact is at risk of losing a protracted conflict. Putin recently admitted to the military suffering as many as 300,000 casualties in Ukraine, prompting many to question just how much longer it can contain growing outrage at mounting casualties. Even more importantly though, Russia's budget went into deficit just three months into 2023. And with the nation expanding its military spending, it's unlikely to be able to support ongoing combat operations at this scale for longer than two or three years at the most. If Ukraine can inflict more catastrophic losses, the economic cost of the war may simply become too heavy to bear. Now go watch how Ukraine war is reshaping US military, or click this other video instead.